Welcome to this week's episode of the HS Health Tech Podcast. My name is James, one of the founders of HS, and with me this week, I have Orlando Agrippa, who is the CEO and founder of Draper and Dash, which is a predictive analytics company that gives insights to optimize patient flow through hospital departments. For those that don't know what that means, essentially they see method in the madness of what's going on in hospital departments. For anyone that's worked in a hospital will know that departments are very complex, particularly places like accident and emergency. They've got lots of different targets to hit and a lot of that relies on patient flow. So the way that patients move through the department, so they come in, they need tests doing, they need to be referred to certain places and all of that needs to work in conjunction with the IT systems and the people in charge of various parts of the journey. So Orlando started that company because he used to be a turnaround director in the NHS and that is somebody who is like a fixer so they go into these departments that might not be performing so well and turnaround directors will essentially do exactly what it says on the tin they'll help turn that around and Lando was very good at it and so what he wanted to do was scale himself he can only be in one place at a time and wanted all the departments that weren't doing so well to work better so he decided to explore an algorithm which would essentially allow him to scale his ability to help multiple departments. That became Draper and Dash and in Orlando's background you'll see that he was somewhat of an entrepreneur all of his life. He had a pasty making business at aged 11 He actually designed women's footwear on the Hackney Road. And just before he actually started Draper & Dash, what he was about to do was launch a luxury tie company. So minimum of £500 per tie. And in doing so, almost stumbled upon what is now Draper & Dash, i.e. the predictive analytics company. But I'll allow Orlando to explain all of that on the podcast. There's also a really interesting reason why it's called Draper & Dash. They do listen out for that as well. So as always, guys, you can get in touch on Twitter with us at HSVenture. You can find us on Instagram at hs.ventures. You can get us on our website, hs.ventures. You can email us, info at hs.live. And you can get in touch with me, James Somaru, so S-O-M-A-U-R-O-O. And I'm at James Somaru on Twitter. I'm James Somaru on LinkedIn. And on Instagram, I'm J underscore Soms, so S-O-M-S. And if you want to read my latest articles for Forbes, then just Google my name and Forbes next to it, and it should come up. So, guys, enjoy this podcast and let us know what you think. Great, so Orlando, welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you very much for having me, James. You're very welcome. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Orlando? I I am in one of the oldest, um, or the oldest, not one out of the oldest tower in Canary Wharf. Um, years and years ago, um, uh, it was um, well, the tower that they tried to to bomb. And I'm talking like a very long time ago. So I'm in one Canada Square, which is one of our our offices. Um, uh, but we're predominantly in Canary Wharf in in multiple um, a couple of different bases, just because we've got a, a few people that um that prefer to not be very high and others who are <laughs> right, but high, 
<laughs> Amazing. So Orlando, I know that we've had a quick chat before, obviously, on our previous call. So I know about your background, but for the benefit of our listeners, why don't you tell us your story? No, no, sure. That, 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 but I'd love to do that. So I don't think that I've had um, a usual or the sort of a normal journey to, to date. But um, I was born, interestingly enough, I was born in South America. I was born in the only English-speaking um, uh, country in South America, which is British Guyana. And there are three Guyanas. There's French, you know, British, and, 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 and Dutch. Um, um, and um, I was born into a family of um, my, on my father's side, they, um, they uh, mine gold. Um, and on my mother's side, they owned um, farms in South America. And between them, uh, I, I, I emerged. Um, I then went on to um, study um, uh, and you know, in, in, in South America is a great place, by the way, right? Um, I then went on to study and um, to be a, a programmer. So I was an awful programmer, I hasten to add, right? Um, I can read code. I, um, I remember one, one year, this is way back when um, Pascal and, and, um, and, and, and Adelphi were the kind of programming language. C++ was new back then. Um, 34 of us um, failed um, uh, a semester of programming. I don't know how that happened, but um, wow. a lot of yeah, a lot of people got a, got an F and had to redo. You've got to um, look at the teacher in those situations. I think. Come <laughs> exactly, on. Exactly right. Exactly. <laughs> hey, that's what I said. <laughs> and, and, anyway, um, so I, um, I, 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 I went on to you know, complete that degree. I um, I then went on to do um, an MBA in between a string of jobs. So. Um, one of the you know, people always ask about um, Virpin Dash, which I know we'll get on to, but one of the jobs that I did um, early on in my career was um, I designed women's footwear in, um, in East London. So Hackney Road in East London is kind of wow. was known for, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you drive down now, it's a bit, um, uh, a bit um, uh, different, but um, uh, uh, it was known for kind of, you know, startups or, or, or young companies who were in design. So I worked for um, an Iranian guy um, called Rezwani and um, I designed um, footwear um, for him. And a lot of what we, or what you will see in D&D's kind of design or UI um, now is as a, a byproduct of that period because women's footwear take a lot of effort to design. Anyway, so, so I, I, I did that. And, but most of my career I've spent in healthcare um, in the National Health Service in this country, um, which is you know, the third largest um, uh, uh, employer, I think, or single employer on the planet. There's the kind of Chinese army, the um, Indian Rail, and I think then there's, there's us. So a great place to kind of get your, 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 your tools um, sort of sharpened up. Um, so, so before I go into that, though, what else did I do? I, um, I did a lot of stuff. You know, I remember my first... Um, business james i was 11 years old and i am um, i am my aunt um, she, you know, um, i think i'm one of her favorite um uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> nephews right my aunt um saw that i was in love so my favorite food is 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 anything bread based but i stay away from it right so she saw i had this um this insatiable um uh, passion for 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 pastry and um, so she started up a little business for me making um patties right um uh or, or pasties um uh and i sold a lot of those back then and, and it paid for a lot of stuff so yeah before even starting a career i've done um uh, a number of what probably could be uh, classed as, um, as as startups right um, not anything <laughs> with scale but but 
uh, a sense of business. But anyway, I am. Um, I, I went into the NHS, um, and most of my career has been in healthcare. I um, I I spent I think about fourteen years in 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 healthcare in this country, a small stint in Australia and in the US. Um, predominantly as a turnaround director, um, and I started as a. a um, a data entry clerk by chance. So my mom had a, a mate who ran um, a drug and alcohol um, uh, uh, NHS service, and I got a summer job there. And the rest is history, right? Um, mm-hmm. I then went on to be an analyst, um, uh, a head of analytics for a number of hospitals, um, and then a turnaround director. Um, I worked, I think, in this country for over 20-something hospitals from Guys and St. Thomas's. I helped to merge the largest merge hospital in this country, which is Bart's Health. Um, it's a 1.2 billion um, uh, pound beast um, uh, to you know, um, uh, one of the largest teaching hospitals in, in, in Europe, NHS TESA, a number of hospitals. So healthcare, I spent a lot of time in the trenches. I then traveled um, with the former chief exec, um, Dr. Garrett Goodyear, um, to, to Australia um, and did a year of turnaround work in Melbourne and Sydney um, and, and traveled for a, a big part of a summer um, to probably you know, most of the kind of major cities with Gareth and his, his, his wife kind of evangelizing healthcare. But you know, the, the, the takeaway from all of that is healthcare, I think of all the things I've done, healthcare I know and appreciate pretty well, right? Um, uh, uh, so that's a, a bit about my, my background. Does that help? That helps a great deal. You really rattled through the story once you got to the pasty business. <laughs> <laughs> I heard about you making pasties, then all of a sudden you're in Australia as a turnaround director. So let me ask you a little bit about that journey. So, you know, it's interesting, the amount of founders that I've interviewed on this podcast now, the amount of them that had some sort of business before the age of 12 is actually quite remarkable. I'd love to go back and actually listen again just to, just to see what the actual incidence of that is. But yeah, so <laughs> you obviously learned the basics of business then, or at least you, you certainly know that you had it within you to, to run a business or at least wanted to because you know, you've got that at an early stage, even if it is you know, making pasties and stuff, but you've got that desire to do it, which is really interesting. And then you, you've obviously done this design in, in women's footwear, and I definitely will talk to you about design, and especially how it relates to Draper and Dash. Um, but I just want to ask you a little bit more about the NHS job that you had. So you mentioned that you were a turnaround director, and you got to that from being in data entry, then an analyst, and then working in analytics. I mean, for the people listening that might be across lots of different careers, they might be clinicians, they might be investors, they might be in healthcare corporates. What, what does an NHS turnaround director do and what do those kind of analyst and analytics roles do and kind of put some flesh on the bones of that for us? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. That's a great question, by the way. So um, I'll, I'll tackle the um, turnaround director a bit first. So, um, most hospitals um, uh, in this country at the moment um, are struggling with um, a number of things, but four predominant things. But these things have not changed over the last decade a lot, right? So they're struggling with, and it, it moves around in the, the ranking of it, but it's the same thing. So they're struggling with um, money at the moment. So most people are running out of deficit. They're struggling with access. So how do we get um, enough patients uh, through the front door? So A&E, um, seen, treated, admitted, or discharged. 
um, uh, pretty um, rapidly within within a four hour standard. So how do we get 95% of all patients who present to uh, our emergency department seen treated, admit, admitted or discharged within four hours? Um, they also struggle with um, the other two big ticket items, which uh, uh, are around access, which is cancer weight. So how do we get people um, who've, who have been diagnosed with cancer to be seen and, and treated and um, hopefully, you know, return to, to um, uh, a normal life um, after being diagnosed um, pretty rapidly as well. And the last is, how do we help, you know, Orlando Agrippa or Mrs. Jones or Mrs. Smith who requires a hip replacement, so elective surgery, how do we help um, uh, 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 patients to be treated within 18 weeks? So those are the things that have not changed um, in the last decade in terms of things that occupy the psychology of um, a lot of executives in this country. Um, of course, there are a number of kind of quality um, uh, metrics that are on the pin that, um, like mortality and, and, and you know, um, prom scores and reduction in falls, but they all fall on the, those umbrellas somehow um, uh, in terms of you know, what, what occupies the, 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 the mind. Um, as a turnaround director, um, what, what, what one's required to do is to go into a hospital and it's normally by, you know, it's not something you apply to go into, right? It's something that people have got a problem. Um, they think actually we need someone who has got um, a very, uh, uh, and I don't want to sound like Liam Nielsen on this, right? But a very um, particular set of skills um, <laughs> uh, uh, to, um, to address those, 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 those issues, right? Um, and they call you in. So for example, um, years and years ago, one of the hospitals that I worked with um, had a, 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 an issue with mortality, right? Um, and, and data governance. Um, and they, um, I remember they called me and, and there was another lady there and they interviewed us both. Um, they, they thought I was too young to do the job. So they gave it to someone else. Um, and I said, um, I was a lot more cocky and probably wasn't helpful, right? Um, back then, but I said, you know what? I'm so confident that I'm the best person for this job. Um, I'm sure you'll call me in maybe six months time. This problem will still be here and my rate will double, right? And <laughs> true to, true, true, this is true, right? It's a true story, true to form, right? And the guy who employed there, I won't say his surname, his, his first name is Nick. Um, and if he listens to this, he'll laugh, right? Um, but um, uh, true to form, Nick calls me three months after and says, you know, the person who um, we appointed um, as the kind of turnaround director for, for the specific challenge that we've got, i.e., the person who we think have got their skills to address it pretty rapidly um, is struggling to deliver it. So we think you're the best person to do it. So I turn up, um, but before I turn up, I say to them, hey, I require um, one thing, you know, I don't require that you guys pay me or um, you know, I'm not worried about those things. Not that I was super minted or anything like back then, but um, what I require is a massive whiteboard um, uh, because that is how I, you know, that's how I, I make this happen, right? So you know, he gets me my whiteboard and he probably thinks, you know, I'm being Mariah Carey or, or a prima donna of some sort. <laughs> but um, I turn up um, and uh, from, you know, a, a gig that was supposed to take, um, you know, a year, um, got delivered within a year, but then they asked me to stay on, et cetera. But this whiteboard, I, um, every single day, my, um, my, my modus operandi was to, get everyone um, who reported into me to tell me precisely 
what the mission was for that day, right? Because as a turnaround director um, and, and organizations that struggle, even outside of the NHS or in a startup community, et cetera, the thing that people really struggle with is having everyone understand what the mission is today, right? What is today's mission? Who's doing what and how are we executing? And what mm. makes no sense or what makes sense to stay on that, that kind of mission critical um, uh, whiteboard. So that was my thing. And of course, you know, I've done that at this point, I've done this for eight years, right? People absolutely hated it, right? Because it, 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 in their minds, they thought, you know, who is this guy and why is he making us feel um, as if we were in primary school? Because these people yeah. are senior, they're older, et cetera. But it's, it's nothing to do with that. It's purely... People are just not, in my opinion anyway, very good um, in the, those environments to think about the things that are core and just focus on it as opposed to kind of, you know, a lot of noise. So that, that right, happens. It threatens the hierarchy, doesn't it? It, it does, right? Because, because and, and in those meetings, which, which is a good point, right? There is no hierarchy. So, exactly. you know, a, a band five or a band nine, in my, in my eye, it's the same people. It shouldn't um, matter. And this is why it works. So that was my, um, my, my tool um, always to turn these things around. It was, you know, what are we doing? How are we getting it done? But more importantly, these people, you know, after, after a while, they fell in love with me because what they saw is not a guy who is um, only okay at um, helping us to focus, but this guy was in the trenches doing some of the kind of basic tasks to the most you know, complex tasks with us um, to get us, get us to, to an end, end goal. Mm. You led by anyway, example. Precisely. The outcome from that was their mortality rate um, uh, went down by 158 less people dying. Their, their, um, their, their data quality went up. They won several awards for, for their analytics work. Um, and they, they, they had a pretty great, well-engaged, clinical and operational, um, uh, 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 you know, driven organization making things happen. So that's what, in my opinion, any, that, that's what the role of a turnaround director um, in, in my vertical looks like. They're people who focus on strategy, they're people who focus on, you know, specific bits of a hospital like the ED or cancer weights, et cetera. But every assignment was, was slightly different. Um, but the, 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 the approach for me has always been the same. It's interesting, um, isn't it? It seems like there is almost like a hint of entrepreneurship in that because you're you're going in with a specific problem to solve. You've got to display a heck of a lot of leadership, a heck of a lot of people skills and management skills to kind of rally what seemingly is quite a new team around that problem. You're having to divvy up tasks. You're having to drag everybody along for that vision. And it, it seems to me like you almost ran it like a business you know that kind of morning huddle to get everybody aligned to hit the goals of that day that that sort of short-termism about the way to go about solving problems it's very akin to what happens in in a lot of startups particularly in those kind of early seed stage days and it's a really interesting approach you you could not be more spot on about it james because one of the things that you will know if you and you i know you come out of health right you will know um so the nhs is 71 years old right um most people in sort of and this is not meant to be in any way kind of you know um it's meant to 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 be taken in the way that it's intended right but um most hospitals that are not in the kind of epicenter of the capital, and even those a question, right, where, um, you know, uh, uh, they're not large teaching hospitals, et cetera, but rural hospitals who, you know, have got um, 
smaller budgets, the people who work in those hospitals um, have always worked in those hospitals. They're the major employer, et cetera, et cetera, right? The challenge that you always find, and I, I always saw this with my assignments, was that um, those, those, those people would always treat, and a lot of people still, treat the job as if it were a kind of, you know, a back office um, uh, uh, admin type function, right? So it was, you know, let's just do the things that we've always done and, and get through it. Whereas when I turned up, even even a simple thing as, you know, how a report looked, right? Or mm. how we worded things or how fonts look or images that we use, or even internally, how we, you know, ensure that the, the the kind of leadership team or the management teams got photo opportunities and got in the kind of local trust um, or hospital uh, 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 bulletin. Stuff like that makes people think um, that actually this is not just a run-of-the-mill gig. We're trying to do something different. And ultimately, we're trying to you know, impact patient care. So definitely, it's, it's running it differently and treating it like it is a startup environment and we've got a mission or, you know, people will hopefully not but people you know people could come to harm if we don't do a great job so anyway that's yeah no it is really interesting and so from there then obviously you're as as a turnaround director you're having to engage with so many different departments you're having to deal with so much data in terms of everything that's going on that's causing the problem you're having to develop an internal algorithm in order to find the solutions for it was it was it easy to do that because and you can see how i'm going to segue into draper and dash now but that kind of internal algorithm of how to do that turnaround director role was that easy to set up in your mind? Was that something that you then wanted to scale in terms of trying to scale yourself almost to create the company? Was that how you segued into Draper and Dash? It, it was, but, but to answer the first question, you know, it was definitely not easy, um, uh, James. I'll, I'll tell you, and I will, to all healthcare, you know, people who have committed their lives to working in healthcare, be it doctors, be it nurses, be it whoever, right? you know, hats off to them because it is not, it is, it is a tough job and the rewards um, for it, if, if, if you, if you enter healthcare, um, especially the NHS, um, with uh, a mission to make money, you know, you will, you will not, um, you'll not get very far. Um, so the mission needs to be, you know, purely about um, patients and everything ripples from that. But it was one of the hardest jobs I've ever done in my entire life. I remember, right, and back then I was I was married to um, uh, a very lovely clinician. Um, uh, uh, um, I remember I used to get in the car and almost be at the office by five thirty. I would have my um, porridge um, in a in a sort of um, I don't know what they call flask. Um, and um, and my sandwich, you know, en route. Um, safety was a bit of an issue there, clearly. Um, <laughs> but um, but um, but um, but you know, I would start at that time, and I would not get home until maybe eleven thirty at night, twelve. But I was committed to, and and then I still am committed to to healthcare. I'm, I was committed to the mission, but it's 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 um it it's a difficult gig in terms of um. The, the segue into D&D, in, 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 in um, what, what happened was, so, you know, I started to kind of, I was doing these turnaround gigs and, and um, a number of hospitals kind of 
referred um, uh, to other hospitals to say, hey, this guy knows what he's doing specifically on analytics, so you guys should speak to them. And um, you know, from one hospital to another in Scotland, to another in, um, to guys in St. Thomas's, to um, Bart Health, where I started my, well, one of my first jobs was in, 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 in Bart Health in, in Newham. Um, uh, I then started to be referred to all of these hospitals, right? Um, and it was you know, the same toolkit, same method. But what I worked out then, James, was that every hospital I went to, um, the problems were exactly the same. So you'll know this, but you know, for our audience, um, I believe fundamentally that hospitals um, are factories. The content um, of hospitals um, as a factory is slightly different, but the, the process that they've got to go through um, I, you know, Orlando turns up to the emergency department. Orlando needs to either be treated there, admitted into a bed. Um, and while he's in that bed, we need to ensure that he can be treated quickly enough and safely enough to discharge him because there are a hundred more Orlandos coming through, right? We also need to ensure that Orlando doesn't come back as a readmission and doesn't have a kind of, you know, if, if an operation happens or a, a post-op issue. So hospitals are like factories, right? Because if you, you know, put a Tesla in that, that scenario, it would be, well, we need to get these things through, this, this kind of conveyor belt and ensure that they don't um, uh, re re return, right? Um, the, 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 the issue that every hospital has got is, um, that, that we encountered or I encountered, was the four things I mentioned. So it was either money, um, access, et cetera. But the, the big kind of, or, or, or the micro um, issues were around our ED or A&E isn't working, right? P patients are waiting longer than they should for cancer um, treatment. People are dying um, and we need to better understand why. We've got a lot of patients falling out of their beds and we need to, to tackle that issue. Um, we've got patients readmitting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So I thought, well, if every hospital um, works the same way, if the data that we capture in patients, i.e. name, date of birth, gender, primary diagnosis, et cetera, et cetera, are the same, and clinical systems, be it you know, Epic, Allscript, Cerner, et cetera, they all generate the same type of data, um, albeit they've got slightly different features, but they generate the same type of data, then surely we should be able to build an analytical solution which tackles some of the problems and try and, and, and scale me, right? Because, you know, some days I'd be in Scotland then I'd be in guys in St. Thomas's, then I'd be in Colchester, then I'd be somewhere else, then I'd be looking at a flight to get to, to, to uh, Melbourne. It, it was not sustainable. So I, um, I thought, well, what we need to do is we need to build nine modules back then, right? And we need to write out to the NHS and we need to say, hey, fellas, we think this is your problem. Um, and we think, you know, you can have these modules for free and we'll provide some services to help you with it. But we did not start genuinely um, uh, uh, D&D with the hope that it would be a technology company, right? It was simply, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll even go back further. So one of the questions that people are, always ask is, why, why do we call them, why is the company called Draper and Dash, right? Um, and um, the short version of it for our audience is, my um my ex-wife and i we used to love um this show on um amc called Mad Men, right mm -hmm. and in this show there's a guy called don draper now don drinks um a lot of um uh whiskey 
um, smokes a lot. And back then, you know, the smoking laws are slightly different, right? Um, <laughs> but, he's, but he's a very slick ad man, you know? Um, uh, so we thought, well, we both loved Don. We thought we loved Don. So, um, you know, let's, 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 let's put a, a sort of a, a footnote on that. Anyway, I got tired and this is, um, what is this now? This is in 2011, 12, maybe. I got tired of, um, of, of being in the NHS. And I thought, well, from my footwear background, I'm going to go off to China to start. I don't know why China to this day, right? But I'm going <laughs> to go off to China to start um, a high-end, um, what is comparable to Christian Louboutin, um, of ties for men, oh, right? Wow. I, I don't even wear ties anymore, by the way. Right? I seldom wear ties. I've got hundreds of them, but I seldom wear them. Um, uh, but yeah, so I was going to go off to China to start this, you know, high-end tie company, which would, you would, you know, the starting price would be something like 500 quid for a tie, right? Or something like that. Anyway, so we thought, well, we love Dawn. And if we're going to set up this company, we need to call it um, Draper and and or don sorry don you know don, don from a madman so um, his name was um don draper right um, so we would call it draper and and it needed to sound a bit savile row-ish right mm. so we thought well let's add a bit of you know, uh vintage saisons to it um um and we we will put a slash in the ties so she said well draper and slash doesn't sound very you know very sexy right so we thought well maybe draper and dash <laughs> and that, that sort of stuck, right? Anyway, set this company up. You know, never went to China, clearly. Never did this Thai thing, clearly, right? However, um, these hospitals that we were working with back then, um, they needed to pay me. So I thought, well, I've got this thing set up to go to China. I'll do these, you know, these gigs, and then you'll pay me into it. Um, and whenever I'm ready, you know, I'll, 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 I'll go off on my merry way to do it. So none of that happened, but but going back to um, <laughs> going back to, <laughs> going back to the story, right? So um, you know, at this point, we've written out to the chief execs, etc. We've sent them these this kind of letter to say, um, you know, we can give you these modules for free to help you out with access and better patient care, and you, you know, we can help you put them in, or your team can put them in if if they can manage to do it. Anyway, we had twenty something hospitals write back to us, chief execs, to say. We love this, would love to work with you. And that's where it all started by simply, you know, trying to, trying to, trying to scale me and, and, and address the problem. That's how D&D and its, its kind of infancy started. And one of the other, other things I, I, that drove that decision was I used to have to fly um, from, from a hospital in Scotland to city, right? So city airport is pretty close to, to where I live. Um, and, um, you know, from city to, to, to Scotland is pretty, there's a direct flight, Air France flight. But it was one of the most grueling journeys every week. And on an Air France flight, I sketched out our first nine um, uh, modules um, because I thought, I really don't want to do this anymore. This flight is going to be the, the, the end of me, right? Um, and, and the rest is history. So I hope that has answered it. <laughs> wow, certainly has. It just goes to show, doesn't it? You completely and utterly understood your customer because you were the person doing this job. You can only be in one place at a time. And you know that as an individual, you're solving a problem in what sounds like a very unique way, sort of, you know, 
leader of your field kind of uniqueness. And so, yeah, the challenge is then obviously to scale yourself and what better way to do that than through technology. But the key thing here is that you've built a solution to an actual problem that exists. And, exactly. and, here's, and here's the irony, you know, you had this vision of starting this luxury tie company <laughs> called Draper and Dash. And in, in, in almost doing that, you've just thought, oh, let me just quickly solve this problem in the meantime and lo and behold you know when you actually listen to the market and you do and you do something that solves a problem that actually exists in a solution that's scalable through technology well look at you now you know in draper and dash so congratulations to you for not pursuing the tie company in vain of uh, all of these potential customers so good on you for that so let's talk about the product then so what what actually is it? What technology does it use? What what does it look like to a customer, which I assume is a hospital? And just, just sort of talk to it. Try and for me and for our listeners, try and make us uh, envisage something that we can kind of get our heads around. Yeah. So so um, you know what is it? Um, I'll I'll do what is it? What tech? Um, etc. So um, what it, what what it is in 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 crude um, form is, so if you can imagine, going back to my earlier example, a hospital um, uh, or being strapped to this, you know, looking down from the sky into a hospital with no, no roof, right? You'll see all of these um, uh, touch points with patients from the front door to a bed base, to diagnostics, to an operating theater, etc. There's loads of stuff happening in this kind of advanced factory. And what we thought was, well, actually, how do we deploy a platform which hooks into our hospitals um, data vertebrae, right? So their, their, their daily data flow. Um, and how do we help them to better manage each of those components? So an example of that is um, one of our customers, a great customer of ours, um, we share this customer with um, the guys at DeepMind is um, Royal Free, right? So um, the Royal Free is just about a billion in, in, in revenue, about 12,000 staff an absolutely amazing um, leadership team and um, one of the best I've ever met. Um, and um, what we're helping them with is, um, and some of our other hospitals is, we've got um, a module which we've deployed in, or multiple modules, but one we've deployed in the um, ED or a &E department. And what that does is it says, um, we want to help you to better kind of understand your demand profile and how you, 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 you get these patients through the ED. So we will work out using historical data um, and, and your live data, um, your com the complexity of the patients turning up to the, the emergency department, the volumes of those patients, um, and the resources required to be able to manage this patient. But also we will provide some predictive capability using our kind of um, uh, 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 AI and machine learning um, algorithm base to help you to figure out what the future, um, the near future and the kind of slightly distant future looks like so that your planning can be better. And ultimately what that does is it helps, um, you know, that, that, that hospital and other hospitals to see, treat um, and, and process patients in the, the emergency department a lot and better. So our solutions predominantly, you know, start with an operational or a factory type um, uh, approach. Um, we think that there are other firms who do deeper clinical content, which is not um, where we, you know, where we think we can add most value. We think people, some people do that really well, right? But for us is how do we get the operations of this thing to work? A second example of that is if from the emergency department, 
they decide to admit you into a bed, um, James, what we will then do before you're even admitted, um, once we know you're going to be admitted, we can work out based on every patient who've ever come through that system over 10 years that look like you, that's profiled like you. So everything that's unique to you, we will reprofile and um, using our algorithms. And we can then tell you with you know, a great degree of certainty how long you might be um, in a hospital bed, right? Um, and, and the reasons that you might be there for seven days or 21 days or, or be stuck in a hospital. So it helps again from a resource planning perspective and from a patient flow perspective. So our preoccupation is around how do we, you know, in terms of a, a sort of a simple um, sentence about who we are, we are a, a, a sort of a venture-backed AI um, predicted patient flow um, uh, company. So we help to process, you know, patients, but everything that we do uses technology and data, right? Um, the last um, example on that, and I'll go on to the technology in a second, that I'll give on that is, which um, is a sort of uh, an amplification of our business, I suppose, is um, it's uh, our, our, our medicine optimization proposition. So every you know, firm out there who focuses on patient flow and they're firms that do a really great job, right? Um, uh, they, they tend to tackle it from some of the same dimensions. But what we did was we thought, well, actually, one of the things that we believe um, from a clinical perspective and from an operational perspective that could screw up the, the seamless flow of patients is um, medicine or, or, or drugs, right? So if you are on you know, one drug versus another, we want to understand how your interaction with that drug is impacting how many times you come back to hospital, right? How long you stay in hospital, how, how, how much resources you consume so that we can better um, uh, work with hospitals to put better care packages around patients who are, you know, um, high high demand and, and very complex versus patients who just need to probably be switched to a different drug. So we're, we're tackling it from a completely different angle, which is unusual in that we're looking at it from a medicine perspective, but that's another module on the platform. So we've got about, I think about 22 modules on the platform, which cover the full um, spectrum of a hospital. And our customers don't always buy 22. They'll buy you know, multiple combinations of different things, but it's all to help them to, to solve those problems. In terms of, um, in terms of the, 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 the technology that's behind it, so most of our, our content is built with a mixture of, um, of, of uh, uh, um, we've got uh, some, Ajax stuff in there. We've got Node, we've got CSS, um, uh, and 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 .NET is predominantly kind of the the the, the languages that sit behind um, what we do. For our predictive um, stuff, it's predominantly Python um, that the, the 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 kind of advanced data science and AI team use as as their their kind of language of of, of, of choice, um, if, if we can call it that. And then there are a number of sort of databases that are built in-house. So all of our stuff is built in-house, um, uh, which we then leverage to harness, you know, um, uh, uh, the data sets that we use. What we've created internally is something called um, a healthcare data interface. So people always ask, you know, if you've got Epic versus Cerner versus something else, um, 
how difficult is it for us to integrate with those systems? And it's not very difficult because what we've done is we've said, irrespective of systems, um, we will standardize what we're looking for because we know that the one thing that is the one thing that is common is the patient and how their journey predominantly works. So that's a bit about you know, the 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 kind of languages that we use um, from a tech perspective. What we also do, and this is a pretty key thing. So every hospital on this planet would have bought either Tableau, Click, Power BI, um, you know, name name an analytic tool, right? Um, already for some department or the entire organization. And what we don't um, do from my own experience of this is we don't think that it's sensible um, for um, health systems who are struggling with, with cash anyway to say, rip out what you've got and you know, put in a full D&D deployment. So what we do is we've built um, our solutions to integrate with what they've already bought. So if you've got Click, we will integrate um, our, our platform into it. So the visualizations will simply leverage a tool and the investment you already have. If you've got Tableau or Power BI or whatever, because those are just visualization tools, the, 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 the power is in you know, the, the content on our platform. So the value proposition is pretty clear then. It's, you, you're adding method into the madness, aren't you? So you're taking all of the chaos in terms of the data that's going on and the process and all of the different things that, that combine to create a really difficult department whereby patients don't flow through it very well because of all the different things going on. And what you're coming in and doing is essentially analyzing all of that, but then also providing advice and actionable solutions to speed it all up and increase the efficiency, right? Exactly. And, and you know, as a company, um, as of, you know, as of last week, we've got, we've, we've got, um, so we operate in the UK, US, Australia, we've got some activity happening in the Middle East, in China and Brazil, right? Um, so we've got a core sort of healthcare team and a team that focuses on, um, life sciences and, and, and advanced kind of future solutions. Because as you know, right, the NHS is what, um, 120 billion in budget. And um, we, we also know that in the last two years, 90% of, of the world's um, data was generated, right? We, we also know, you know, if we look at healthcare or can you know, focus on healthcare, that um, the US healthcare spend is comparable, it's actually bigger than the world's fifth largest economy so you've got the you know you've got china you've got japan well you've got the us as an economy you've got china japan germany and india right and and india is what 2.9 billion roughly whereas the the us is spend on healthcare alone is 3.4 billion so we're dealing with an enormous um uh, uh uh sector an enormous problem but also a very old um sector right so I'm not sure if you know this, but the forcep, the thing that you kind of pull babies out with, mm. is I think it's a hundred and something years old, right? Um, and if you look at technology around, then there is no firm that has kind of developed something that has replaced a lot of the older healthcare technologies yet. So for us, it's how do we help you as a, a health system, as an organization, as a hospital, to keep up with a growing demand where patients are getting older, the population is rising, but your physical hospital is not getting bigger. You, you can't, you know, unless you're in China, you cannot roll out, you know, um, thousands of hospitals to keep up with demand. That is no longer um, how you do it. It's how do we get smarter? How do we, how do we get more efficient? 
And the only way we can do that, in my opinion anyway, is to, to, to take a, a digital analytical um, approach to it where we can better understand the demand, but also understand the patients that should not be in hospital, right? Because you know, not everyone needs to go to hospital. Mm. Now, we've got listeners in the US. We've got listeners in Australia, quite a lot of them, actually, and also in the UK, obviously. How does your business model change for those different countries because of different reimbursement models? Yes. So, so the, it, bizarrely enough, right, the model doesn't change very differently. So the UK is you know, predominantly um, uh, publicly funded. Australia has got a, a sort of a mixture of that. And the US has got um, a bigger private um, uh, or insurance or reimbursement um, uh, type model. However, the problem for all of these organizations, so at the moment, we, we, you know, what we're doing in the US, what we're seeing in the US is um, when we speak to customers there, they're more interested in ROI and how do we grow our patient base, right? How do we become more profitable? How do we grow our patient base? However, once you, once you kind of, if you say yes to that and you park it for a second, the next problems are still around patient flow because we need clinicians to get more efficient. We need to reduce clinical variation. We need to drive better outcomes, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. And we need to ensure that access works. So patient flow still is a problem. If we then, you know, hop over to, to Brexit territory, um, uh, and and look at the UK, right? Um, what you've what you've what you've then got is um, a system where when we're speaking to executives, genuinely, and I speak to easily maybe seven execs per week, right? They're not, um, you know, ROI and 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 that sort of stuff does not feature in their lexicon. What features in it is Orlando, we love your technology. But we've got, genuinely, this was a conversation yesterday, we've got a 50 million pound deficit. How can you help us to reduce that? And, you know, we're happy to have your technology come in to help with that and your team to come in and look at a gain share model where if we're helping you to get to 10 million, you know, or, or if you help us to get to 10 million, we will happily you know, um, uh, deploy a big chunk of that back into D&D. So yeah. the... the the, the focus is very different. But again, if you park the kind of big money problem beneath it, it's still, we need to reduce um, variation. We need to optimize medicine because medicine or, or, or drugs in every economy accounts for 10% minimum of, of spend, right? So after your people cost, so your doctors, nurses, et cetera, um, then it's drugs. So if you, if you can tackle that um, as, as an issue, as a hospital or as a health system, then you're in for money, right? Um, and you're, you're in for better outcomes, you're in for better patient care, et cetera. If you take the, the Australian healthcare system, we're having the same conversation. So the, 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 the short answer is they, uh, our business model um, hasn't changed um, uh, from territory to territory. What we're, 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 we're having to do is adjust the, the conversation right? And how we approach it. So the US versus the UK, etc. It's just a different conversation. Um, I think the, the, the great thing about the US is it doesn't have what one of the things that the NHS has. So the NHS has this thing called an OJU um, threshold, right? Which says that if you buy something above a certain price, you need to go out to public tender. Whereas the US, you know, if hospitals want to buy something and the business case stacks up, you're off to the races. Um, however, the time to transaction takes considerably longer 
because the deal's a lot larger. So those are the only kind of palpable differences that we see. Yeah, interesting. Are you doing that model that you mentioned then where, you're, where you are actually taking a percentage of the savings that you're helping people do? Is that something that you're able to do? So, so you know, one of, one of so the, 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 I'll give you the long, the short answer and the long answer. So the short answer is yes. Um, and it's a newer part of our business. However, you know, if you imagine, so for a big part of our, the business's evolution, we did not raise capital because the business was funded by me and, um, and we, you know, we were profitable for a, a number of years, for so the majority of our existence. Right. Mm. And then we decided actually, you know what, we, um, because our first office, I don't know why we did this. Like you think about these things now and you think that was such an inefficient way of doing something. Right? <laughs> we, we, it's a wonderful thing. Exactly. So we, there were nine of us at that point, And we thought, well, guys, we can't all work from home. So let's try to get an office. So we found this. Um, this is in Canary Wharf. Right? I didn't genuinely know, no idea why we did it. We found this um, old garage. Right. And we thought, yeah, this <laughs> feels like somewhere we should um, we should spend you know several weekends Amazing. Pa- painting this up we should manually you know put in our own servers and really crazy and inefficient ways of doing things right? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway that was all of, i mean and a lot of people who are still at dnd from that time are very nostalgic about that <laughs> but um, but, but um, uh, you know i digress um uh, but, but, but throughout most of our existence, anyway, the point was we were, we were you know, profitable. We got to, um, we scaled pretty rapidly um, and had, and still do have a great team. However, like most businesses, you know, you, you get to a point where the outside world starts to recognize the work that you've done and you've got investors who have got an interest in joining and you take on capital and the business kind of takes on a different form and, you know, the, the, the ability to scale becomes very different, right? And, and what that allows you to do, um, and I would say it's not for everyone, right? Genuinely, um, because outside of the Indian before, I've invested in a string of companies from fintech to fashion to marketplaces to transport analytics. Um, and the reason for doing that was I wanted, and I still do, right? I love understanding the psychology of other entrepreneurs, other founders, and how they approach things, right? Because you know, I don't, I don't um, uh, have a supposition that I'm, I'm, my view is kind of the ultimate view of how you should do this stuff. Yeah. But anyway, um, taking on capital has allowed us to, to, to take a lot more risk, right? So if you've been a customer, and if we use you know, a few of our customers, if you've been a customer for two years, three years with Draper & Dash, right? We know you. you've already paid for lots of our technology. We believe that if you've got a 50 million or 100 million problem, right? Um, if it costs us, you know, uh, half a million or a quarter of a million to invest in deploying our technology and people to really help you to kind of dent that problem. And if we can quadruple our normal, you know, um, uh, uh, returns, on that because we've helped you save so much money and you're happy with that, then it seems like a logical way of, of, of approaching it, especially in a health system where that is, you know, people, more chief execs, right? And I'm sure that I'm, I'm correct about this. More chief execs in the last 12 months have stepped down and you know, the NHS is struggling with a staffing issue now, right? Because people uh, are finding it harder and harder to do these jobs, because if you think about it, you cannot deliver 
um, you know, 100 million or 50 million in savings if your biggest cost is people and drugs, right? The only way, 80% of your cost is people and then another 10% is drugs. So you, you, you've got, you know, 10% variable cost. You, you, it, it's a difficult ask. So people are opting to go into the private sector, do different jobs, consult, et cetera, as opposed to taking on these big challenges. So our approach is, is, is in part designed to say, hey, it's okay, right? We think that we, 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 we've assessed the risk in, by hospital, you know, each hospital, for, for each hospital. And we think that for you guys, we might be able to d- deliver this at risk because we think we genuinely believe in our own technology, in our people and our ability to deliver strong ROIs for our, our, our healthcare customers. From our last capital um, raise, we, we have kind of added um, the, larging, the largest group of children's hospitals in this country now belongs to D&D. Um, we've accelerated our, our, our kind of customer acquisition strategy. But more importantly, we have invested a quarter of a million of our last round into, into, um, into uh, a fund which um, is in essence an R&D fund into the NHS, right? And what that fund does, what that fund does is it, um, it's, it, it's gathered 24 hospitals, some of the largest hospitals in this country. Um, and it says, you guys want to um, accelerate your AI and machine learning um, and predictive strategy, but you don't have the skill set. not in a disrespectful way. You just don't, you haven't acquired the skill set, um, and you don't have the capital to do it because you're running out of money, right? We, we have invested in that for you. What we require you to do um, through this invite-only working group is to present us with a problem, right? Um, we will solve the problem with our technology. We will deploy those modules into your organization at our cost. And if those um, modules drive value to patients, to um, patient flow and to, to, to improvement in the organization, then we can look at uh, a commercial model um, where some of that cost gets shared across the group. But for us, that is our way of investing because we believe in healthcare, investing in healthcare. So I think that bit, um, you know, a lot of people I've spoken to about it, they're really, they, they think it's a different way of, of approaching things. They think it's really collaborative and they love it. So I think that might be worth mentioning. Yeah, very different. And you are sort of future-proofing there as well, aren't you? Exactly, because, you know, we're, we're, and it goes back to your earlier comment, right, which is we didn't come up with the idea, like, like my, my Thai thing, right? I didn't kind of, you know, lay in bed and stare at the ceiling and thought, well, let me go make some ties. It was born out of a real problem. And the, the approach that we're taking is actually tell us what the real problem is today and we will help to solve it because it helps us to um, ensure that we are ahead of, of what the challenges are that you're facing. I think one of the points that I'd like to pull out there for, for the entrepreneurs listening is, is your investment journey and the way you describe your investment journey is it's very interesting to me just simply because you are profitable and seemingly quite profitable quite early on. And I think your experience of getting that investment and even the way you talk about why you wanted that investment, the things that that investment allows you to do, vastly different from so many of the pitch decks that we see in the interviews that we have with founders that are just desperate for capital to even build something or desperate for capital to give them the next bit of runway that they're going to prove something and prove that the business is going to be successful. I think what's really nice about your business is that 
you were profitable very quickly from day one. You, you, you understood your customer intimately in that you've literally done the job yourself. You built a solution around the problem that you saw every day that managed to scale itself quite organically very quickly. And the capital that you wanted, as you say, was to then take extra risks. It was then to take that money and, and do some extra things that at the end of the day, your, that your core business is always going to be there. It's always going to work. It's always going to be scalable, but it's what that capital then allows you to do to layer onto that, to then give you the biggest chance of, you know, big exit one day, you know, and that's a, it's such a different message to tell an investor. It's such a, an easier message to hear from our side of the table. It, no, no, it, 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 it completely is right. And, and, you know, as you said, James, um, it's 2020 hindsight, right? Um, so for me, if we, if we segue back, and a lot of people who I've met um, or who are very close to me, um, you know, they, they believe that I'm a replica of my grandfather, right? Um, and my grandfather was called Joshua. Joshua um, you know, was a farmer, um, a lot of land, a lot of farms, right? Um, uh, and the way that they did business um, uh, uh, was... They, you know, in South America, probably still now, but back then, there was no notion of kind of getting a loan for a farm or venture capital or sure. all of that sort of stuff, right? So the the going back to my whiteboard, what 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 one had to do was focus the mind on the mission and what was critical, you know, every single day, right? Um, which was driving a profitable business. And um, um, I then you know went on to have. D and D, and when we started the, and I've learned so much since, like genuinely, you know, I can we can do this all day, right? But um, I've learned so much about how to raise capital, who not to raise it from, who to all of that sort of stuff, which we can talk about. But um, one of the things that I learned early on, and I was saying to my partner um, uh, more recently, was that you know, if you would ever. Um, or if, uh, you know, whatever I do next post D&D, right, um, will have a very core focus on how do you, you know, how do you start with something that irrespective of how the markets operate, irrespective of if you get capital or not, it's a business that mm. scales, right? Because as you rightfully pointed out, I've, I get probably 2000 pitch decks a year for kind of my private life, right? Yeah. And every single one of them, um, I've got, you know, zero route to profitability. All of it is predominantly, we'll get more salespeople, we'll improve yeah. the technology, we will do this, we'll do that, we'll go to the States, blah, 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 right? And it all becomes noise now, right? Um, and even the ones that have kind of, you know, the large um, uh, uh, um, firms who have, um, the unicorns who have sort of, or decacons who've been, um, who've IPO'd recently, right? What you're starting to see is that the investment community is saying, we will take some risk on some of these guys because you know we're gonna really have to go for scale but the great majority of of of, of other firms you you probably don't even have a business um, and what you're doing is raising a lot of capital kind of with, with hope right that you will crack a business somewhere in between mm. and and what you then see come out of the other end is um founders who end up with five percent of their own business right <laughs> and fun. you know exactly and the exit become and then at that point, they become disenfranchised. They don't want to yeah. be there anymore. But yes, literally yesterday, I was speaking to a mate who, who said on our board, and he runs a PE firm, pretty large PE firm. Mm. And he was saying, you know, oh, I've got to introduce you to this guy. And I was like, well, you know, why? And he was saying, well, he's a great guy. But um, footnote, um, you know, I invested in one of his firms. 
he got um he got to a point where really he was really struggling and he decided to go take a job in you know one of the big four right um and left his shareholders in the share right um and you know, I've experienced this as well. I invested in, you know, in, 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 in the marketplace years ago. And the founder then turns up and says to me, and this is a lot, I've got a lot of money in this thing at this point, right? You know, um, uh, and, and this guy turns up to me and says, hey, you know, my wife and, and I, she's got a green card and we're thinking about you know, moving to the States. And I thought, are you serious? Is, wow. uh, we have, uh, but, <laughs> but, but to hone it in, right? The, the point of all, all of that noise is, I think that, um, you know, fundamentally, um, uh, uh, two things happen. One, my investors and the board, I believe, respect my opinion on these things because one, you know, we, we started with a, a solid business. Two, you know, that business has got a lot of my own money in it. Three, I understand how um, an investment strategy works and how it, 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 it doesn't work. And, 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 um, and it, it gives, it, it adds a different layer of, of sort of, I don't know, I don't know, it just adds something different to it, right? Whereas on the other hand, you know, if I turned up to them and say, hey guys, you know, this is the idea, blah, 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 we need to scale it. But, you know, I think it just adds a whole different layer to the discussion and to their confidence because they would have seen 2,000 decks like you, you probably see a 100,000 decks a year, right? And Indeed. yeah, anyway, that's me rambling now. You got me back. I got hardly, hardly, hardly rambling, Orlando. I, th- I think it's, it's an absolutely vital, vital point to ram home. And you summarized it very, very well. I've just spotted the time and this, this hour has gone, gone extremely quickly. <laughs> But Orlando, this, it's been a fascinating chat. Really, really enjoyed it. The way that we end these podcasts is that I hand back over to you just to summarize a little bit about yourself, a little bit about Draper and Dash. And then if you've got any asks of our audience, then feel free to close us out with those. Yeah, well, well listen, this has been, the pleasure has been all mine. So thank you for having me. Um, you know, from a, a D&D perspective, we, um, you know, for, for listeners out there, because I wouldn't be doing a great job if I didn't say this, right? For listeners out there who are um, uh, hospital executives or clinicians, et cetera, who would love to know a lot more about what we do, um, love to understand some of our sort of models um, around engagement, would love to have a discussion with you. Reach out, um, uh, be it on LinkedIn, Twitter, or drop me an email. Um, uh, for 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 for. Um, individuals who are within healthcare and we're seeing a kind of a big movement of people looking to um, take up a sort of an entrepreneurial mantle. Um, I would say this is easily one of the hardest things you'll do. You will cry some days, you will, you know, not cry some days, you will, you know, want to do something else, you'll want to find yourself, all that sort of stuff will happen. And I think the only way that you, you will endure is if your mission is, is to do something that really you know, um, uh, ads. if it's about the money, I think you should do something else. Um, uh, and, um, and, and for, 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 you know, people interested in, 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 in what Dindy is doing and, 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 um, how we could potentially support them as individuals. And um, again, please feel free to reach out, but this has been, um, a great experience, um, uh, for me, um, to spend this, this sort of hour with you, um, James and, um, and yeah, I, I hope the listeners love it. Thank you, Orlando. What's the best email to 
uh, get in touch with you? So it's first name dot, dot last name at draperandash.com. Um, I, I can never remember my Twitter handle. Um, so I'm sure someone <laughs> Google me and you'll Don't find worry. it. I will, <laughs> I'll search for it and I'll put it in the show notes so our listeners can uh, look at the description <laughs> of the podcast and find it there. But Orlando, thanks so much for coming in. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and I wish you all the best of luck. Cheers. Have a great day. Bye.